This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, what is it like to infiltrate the Hells Angels? Jay Dobbins is a former ATF agent, author, and public speaker who went undercover inside various criminal organizations. He shares his experiences, the challenges the work put on his family, and how he survived some truly terrifying encounters with the criminal underworld. Global Calgary's Cami Kepke joins Shane to discuss her role in the news world. She talks about what it's like to break through the sports barrier as a woman, what the community around her looks like, and where she hopes to see women's sports reporters go from here. And are you okay with cemeteries? How about pandas? All of that on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Our next guest joins us from down south of the border. His name is Jay Dobbins. And Jay's history is the kind of history that I don't think I can do it justice by trying to explain it. I can say this, though. The conversation about Jay sort of came about from a couple of different angles all at once. From strange jobs, what kind of strange jobs have you had, to... Also, just the fact that Jay is uh, a public speaker, he's an author, and um, has incredible history. Uh, Jay Dobbins is here. Hi, Jay. Shane, good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you for that kind introduction. Well, you, um, I would say, say it's safe to say you have redefined for me having a bad day at work, and I am far more grateful for the, the days that I have based on some of your day's at work, Jay, I think I can try to describe your background in undercover operations as an agent, but I think it's maybe best if you do it because I'm not going to do it justice, sir. Well, I, I was an undercover agent for 27 years. Uh, I worked on everything from I, I bought everything from street guns to shoulder launched rockets uh, from homemade pipe bombs to servo activated C4 devices from dime bags to cartel level dope. I did wow. murder for hire cases and home invasion cases. So I had a pretty vast experience of undercover street work. Um, Jay, I have so many questions, man. Um, the first one is why, what, what is it that is inside you that, I mean, becoming a, uh, excuse the broad term, but becoming a police officer, if you will, an agent of the law takes a certain kind of person. It takes someone who is a guardian by nature, someone who believes in um, truth as being true, not as being perspective. Somebody who believes in um, having a compass in a direction of doing people by right. Going undercover, though, and I have some friends who have done undercover work inside city police uh, as well. That's a whole different level, Jay. How did you get there? Well, I, th I think it starts with a service before self mentality. And, uh, you know, like I look at myself as, a, as very much a common man who was placed in uncommon situations and just did the best I could every day. And, and there were days when I got it wrong and days when I failed as, as well as succeeded. Is it like Donnie Brasco or what? Um, you know, uh, Joe Pistone is a pretty good friend of mine, uh, the real Donnie Brasco. And um, wow. there's, there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, you know, Joe's story is, is the, 
the Mount Rushmore of undercover stories, and uh, and he's a close friend. But th- there's a lot of similarities. Yes. Hmm. Uh, Jay, for me, um, I love the stories of people. I love perspective. Um, I love listening. I love listening for the nuances that people share. And so this is very exciting for me. You put yourself into some wildly crazy situations. Uh, I know that you are a public speaker and you sort of uh, share this story. Um, I, it, we would need days to dig into all the questions in my mind about, you know, wh- what do you get out of this? People who do this job, how important are they? What about yourself? Um, their personal battles you went through while in the job versus out of the job all of those things. But I think it really comes down to one thing is how do you get through this today, speaking about this and not get yourself into trouble with some of the bad guys that you ran into? Well, I, you know, there's, there's people out there who obviously don't care for me for a lot of different uh, reasons. Um, I'm not looking for trouble. I I don't want trouble. I'll walk away. If I can, I'll run away if I have to. Um, but I also, uh, if I'm cornered, if you put me or my family in a bad situation, you corner us. I've always felt like I've had, I have God's hand on my shoulder and I've got a gun on my hip and, and we'll figure it out. If, if you challenge me in that way, um, it's not going to turn out good for any of us. We're all going to the hospital and, and that, that's not what I want. Well, it's not the, uh. That would be one of the benefits, I suppose, that comes out of getting yourself, you know, deeply embedded with bikers is that you learn how to defend yourself. You learn how to read people. You learn how to deal with harrowing situations. And turns out coming out of it, you got, I guess, a, a free education on not only living but surviving after being in that. Maybe you could touch on that and then get into the into the biker gang stuff that you, you went undercover with. Well, yeah, that was, you know, a, a crazy period of time uh, over that course of my 27-year career. That Those two years I spent uh, infiltrating the Hells Angels in Arizona was, uh, it was, you, you hit it on the head. Your characterization is perfect. It was an education into that lifestyle and to that world. Does it get tempting, Jay, when you're in it? Is it, is it? Uh, attractive to be in it? Is that the question? Is it? Well, I think so. Like, does it, I mean, you're working hard and um, I am going to lead to the the question of uh, your employment and the various betrayals that happened afterwards. We'll get to that down the road here. Um, But is it tempting? I mean, you see that many of these people, the lives they were living, the, the lucrative nature of it, and you're trying to do the good work of the good man and, and take it all to task. You know, I, I think a human nature, I, I wouldn't judge you if the answer was at times, yeah, you think about it. You think about, you know, getting sucked into that dark world and, and maybe walking away from, from the good guy side. Um, but, you know, did you ever find it was tempting? Was, was that a th- something that occurred to you? Well, uh, the, the lifestyle, there's elements to it that are attractive. Not every second of every day of my career was spent uh, in miserable conditions. Uh, I, like I, I obviously loved my job to do it for as long as I did. Um, but I never lost sight of whose team I was playing on. Um, the, the people I was working on uh, and investigating, like you, you grow attached to them, you grow close to them, uh, you spend time with them outside of criminal activity, and, and then you develop friendships. 
And you can never undercover your way out of those. You can never remove the human factor. And so, yeah, you, 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 you make friends and you, and, and you become close to people, but then they participate in something despicable or uh, so vile that it's a shocking reminder of why you are doing what you're doing. It is, um, it is remarkable to think that, you know, um, you, you sort of live with these people, right? Um, what's the longest that you, I, I don't know the terminology here. Uh, thank you for your guidance is, you know, how long were you undercover for and not going home? Were there seasons that you were away or did you get to go home at night or were you gone for a week at a time? Like how did undercover work when you're dealing with such organized crime? Yeah, it, it varied. I had, during the course of the Hells Angels investigation, I had four different undercover houses uh, that I that I lived at and operated out of. Um, so there were times when I would, you know, be home maybe once a week and be home or see my family, you know, maybe for months at a time. Um, and it was unpredictable. Uh, were you in a relationship or married through this? And did you have kids while you were undercover? I did. I've I, I've been married uh, for over thirty years. Um, I have two kids who are now uh, both adults, and um, I will say this: after I, you know, uh, my my family lived through my career with me, and um, man, they're way better than I deserve because I put a whole lot of battle damage on them, uh, chasing the job and chasing my career the way I did. Can you talk about that? Um, can you talk about your partner and, and all privacy, of course, that you do keep uh, share at your at your um, level of comfort there. But can you tell me about your partner and, and how amazing that person is to know that their uh, husband partner is literally spending their days? I mean, a police officer's wife, if you will, um, worries about that phone call. In this particular case, you're gone for days at a time. And I'm assuming it's not like you're texting. Hey, babe going to run some guns down to uh, San Francisco. Like, it's not like you're communicating like a normal person would at their job. Well, I think what made it probably worse for my wife is that um, I got hired on a Monday and four days later, um, I was taken hostage and shot. Um, I was shot in the back. The bullet went uh, through my lung, uh, narrowly missed my heart. It exited my chest. Uh, I was, you know, bleeding to death in the in the garbage of a trailer park with blood coming out of my chest like you're holding your thumb over the end of a garden hose. That was four days after I came on the job. Um, I was in a shooting another 18 months later after that uh, in an undercover deal where I was uh, shot and run over by a car. And so my wife is is to, to say that she's amazing uh, is. I don't have the vocabulary to describe like how she is and what she's meant to me and to our family. She's the, she's the person that's hold held it all together when at times it seemed like I was doing everything I could to rip it apart. And how long were you undercover after four days of getting shot? Yeah, that was, well, I was, you know, I got sworn in on a Monday and, and yeah. got shot on a Thursday on an, on an arrest scenario. And then um, you so, stayed for how long? 
Yeah, then I I worked for another 27 years. Oh, um, man. Like day five, Jay. <laughs> that's when you tap out, Jay. <laughs> day five. Oh, my God. Well, and, yeah, and I think that's, uh, I think that's uh, how a lot of people probably look at it when they hear that story. I completely yeah. understand that. But um, it, it, it almost empowered me. It almost made me feel invincible or bulletproof. Like I'd been, I'd been on the job less than a week and I had a bullet go through my chest and I was still here and I was still motivated to go to work and, and try to do it right and try to do it without getting hurt or making mistakes. And, and so that it, it empowered me. Can you tell me about that moment when you're home today, living your normal life? I mean, you're an author and we'll talk about books here in a second too, but um, you know, you look at your wife and you see her. Um, do you ever just sit there and, and just watch her and sit in amazement uh, of that human being being such a, you know, almost a, if you're a guardian for the citizens, maybe she was a, a guardian for you through all this? Without a doubt. And I, I've said this many times publicly and privately. I've made a million mistakes in my life and I've done a million things wrong that, that I'm ashamed of and regretful of. And, and God and my wife have given me a million and one second chances to try to get it right. Um, they, they've, they've, neither one of them has ever run out of patience with me. So I'm very much blessed by that. Uh, tell me about your faith. W- were you a faithful person when you started this on that day one hiring before you got shot? Or did that come in somewhere partway through this or afterwards? Uh, I was, but I think I was kind of counterfeit about it. Um, it was, it was, uh, my faith was very self-serving. Um, and, and I learned throughout the course of my career through, from events like, you know, like the shooting I described and various undercover operations that if the only time you're talking to God is when you're in trouble, you're in trouble. And, yeah. and I learned that the hard way and yeah. the right way, I suppose. Yeah, sort of about, you know, um, for some people it's prayers and for some people it's creation and all different ways that people describe it. It doesn't matter. It's just that whenever you sit and you say those words, if you're saying them out of need and desperation always and not out of creation, um, you know, whether speaking to God or, or whatever it is for everyone else, the, you know, you're missing the good stuff is what I always I always say is the, the ability to, to sort of be in that relationship with yourself um, through that. It's It's quite beautiful. Well, you know, like for me, I think my my character flaw in all this is that I was probably just an inherently selfish person. I made decisions for myself, about myself, about my career, um, and I and and I made them. I didn't always consider my family, my wife, and my kids. I, I was uh, driven to be the best undercover operative that I could be, and in doing so, I made I made personal selfish decisions, and. Um, I regret a lot of those, uh, or at least some of them now in hindsight, but, um, I'm, you know, I'm working every day to try to repair that battle damage I put on my family. Yeah. Maybe that was the perfect guy that needed to be there though. Right. I mean, Jay, maybe you were in exactly like timing is amazing. And maybe that's exactly the person that was needed to, to be the guardian that day. Um, that grace is important too. Yeah. You know, there was, there was a time I came home after a, a long stretch on an operation and I walked in and my wife said, you cannot be gone and then walk into this house and treat us like we're the people that you're interacting with on the street. Mm-hmm. And my response is, I, I said, I'm not a light switch. I can't turn this on and off. I have to stay on. People that treat 
what I do for a living as a hobby end up dead? And then her response was, well, you better install a dimmer switch and turn that criminal attitude down because we are not going to be treated like that. And if you can't figure it out, don't come back here. Wow. That's 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 hard to hear. Jay Dobbins is our guest, former ATF agent, undercover with biker gangs, Hells Angels and more public speaker. Now, no angel. My harrowing undercover journey book is out there by Jay Dobbins. And then there's also the Catching Hell book, Jay, uh, a true story of abandonment and betrayal. Uh, we're a little limited on time, but if you could tell us what that part of the betrayal was in your work. Well, when the, my Hells Angels infiltration ended uh, and my true identity was revealed, um, I, there was verified, credible death and violence threats being issued against me and, and against members of my family. Uh, uh, my, my agency didn't react to them. Uh, I was told I was on my own to protect myself and figure it out uh, and, and, and protect my family. Uh, in the summer of 2008, our, home, our house was burned to the ground in the middle of the night by arsonists. Um, and so, you know, after that work and after that career, um, you know, I, I loved ATF. And, and when it came down to it, you know, ATF didn't, didn't love me back. And so that was, you know, part of the abandonment and betrayal that took place. Does that bother you today with, uh, with people and trust? Um, you know, it, it was a handful of people that were responsible for that. It, it was not the entire agency. Um, I, I, I love ATF. I, I, I always have. Um, even in the middle of, of that drama I did, it was a handful of uh, administrators, supervisors, executives who were uh, incompetent and corrupt and malicious and retaliatory and, and all these uh, had, had all these personality traits that they weren't suited for leadership. They never deserved to carry a badge and a gun. Um, and they were the ones that were making decisions and, and affecting my life and my family's life. Well, leadership is a very um, big word in today's world, Jay. And if I could um, at least be maybe not critical, but be grounded in the statement and say that leadership really is the magic that, that truly makes humans grow and shine and, um, and we are going to have to leave it here because we're out of time. I, I want to take a second, Jay, and acknowledge um, the courage that you have to do this, the clarity you provide in it. Um, there's a piece about you that I find really interesting, and I would love it if you would come back on because there are so many different perspectives I would like to ask you about about your perspective uh, through this and your experience of this. If you'll accept my invite, I would love to have you. Yeah, sure, anytime. When you find time, let's chat again. And we will soon, by the way. We're going to put the links to the books, by the way, up at shiftheads.ca so you can introduce yourself to Jay Dobbins. Uh, thank you for being so generous with your time, Jay, and I will connect really soon because I want to learn more. All the best. God bless. Thank you. This is the Shift Podcast. You know our buddy, Cammie Kepke. She's with Global in Calgary and uh, is a very sportsing person. Hi, hello. That's how I make sure that I sound that I'm not a sporty person. Um, but Cami <laughs> is. And um, we I wanted to bring uh, Cami on to have a little bit of a conversation uh, about women in sports. Now, that's a big uh, that's a big one, isn't it? There's been so much that's been going on. Um, 
there's been so many changes in women's hockey and I was sort of inspired seeing some pictures from the all-star weekend a couple of weeks ago um, of women being there, but then kind of not really being there. And I was, I it was really great to have uh, women hockey players be a part of it, but the same part, they weren't really a part of it. And then, you know, you see the, what's going on with the soccer players and then women's basketball down in the States and all these things. And uh, these are, while it doesn't seem like we've come far, we've come awfully far because we know about these things and these sort of uh, this contrast moment happens. And and to go beyond that, um, to be a woman who goes into those, you know, broadcast pits and everything else in sports and stands there in front of an NHL coach every couple of days and asks questions. I, I mean, I know Cammy, and I also know when Cammy speaks up when that room's pretty quiet and no one else has the nerve to ask questions of the NHL coaches. So, Oh, I don't know about that. I got leveled pretty hard in one of my first scrums with the sure. Flames. And it, to- it took some coming back from that. But you do. <laughs> Bill Peters got Sure, but, got you, uh, but you did just last week. It was a pretty quiet room. Daryl Sutter's sitting there, you know, and there's Cammie asking questions. So, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there. I, I just, thanks for being here. And I just wanted to ask you, you know, the state of things today it's come a long way, and it's great to see some of these struggles get profiled because that means that people are paying attention to them, but there's still a long way to go. What are you seeing that's going on? Because I think the women's soccer thing was pretty interesting. Yeah, I think like from a broadcasting perspective, um, one of the really cool things I got to do during the pandemic because there was no sports was uh, go into our archive of all the tape and the beta cam from kind of like the glory days of like the two and seven channel. And I restored a lot of stuff from Joe Sports, Sports at 11, things that were pretty iconic for the area. And, you know, you get to see so many good memories relived. And every now and then there's just a little something that you see that reminds me like, oh, if I had been here in the what many people remember as the glory days, I probably wouldn't have had this job. And if I did, it would be a very, very different experience from what I have now. So it is heartening to see more women in these kinds of roles. Although I think like in terms of doing sports at a news station, I'm pretty sure I'm still one of the only in Canada. And that is uh, unfortunately coming to an end at the end of the month here. But I still, when you look in a lot of, especially local press boxes, you might have a couple women in there, but chances are they look an awful lot like me, which is a, a little white blonde girl yeah. i haven't come across too many poc reporters who are women in my time and that's going coast to coast like i hear about some i know kayla gray was in northern bc shortly before i was and then she obviously made it to toronto tsn and did all that great stuff and in calgary we do have cassandra vilgrain daughter of claude who does amazing work with the calgary hitmen and equality in hockey and she works her tail off but you know, it's tough when you can name two, three people off the top of your head in terms of like the local scene and that. Yeah. Bit. And and so when there are more men named Ryan who covers the flames. When there are yeah, women. exactly. Right uh, there. But that that's the catch. That's the intersection that we sit at is that if you do look back to those days in the 90s that or the early 2000s, there was there was nobody around. And, and here again, you are sitting in front of um, NHL uh, people. Just so you know, for those who don't didn't read the news, there has been some cuts to different departments, sports departments. Um, uh, Cammy's not leaving. She's just not going to be doing that same job anymore. Um, but the the 
it has grown and there are people around and there are so many amazing people to celebrate. So, I mean, I get to celebrate you. So I say all the things about you that I get to celebrate and then you get weird about it. And then, um, but you are good at celebrating other people. So how about someone that you see in your world of sports that, that you really, really think is doing a great job? I doesn't matter the network competing or otherwise. Um, I, um, cause I get to say the nice things about you. So don't worry about that. Can I just like holler out to the OG of Calgary sports who just does, if you're in the industry, you know her and you love her, but outside of, and if you're not like constantly following the sports journalism world, you might not know Donna friggin Spencer. Canadian press, like rain or shine. She's out there in sleet and snow covering absolutely everything with such a keen attention to detail. She writes her Canadian press. So her articles go up on a global, a CTV, just on all these different outlets. So I guarantee if you're mm. into sports and you clicked on something on the internet, you've probably read a Donna story and she digs into issues. Those are not always puff pieces and profiles. That's cool. I like that. And she's just an exceedingly cool lady. Before before you got into sports, were there any women that you paid attention to? I mean, there wasn't a lot around that did sports. I mean, you were this young girl uh, playing football and bass guitar. Um, you know, I wasn't playing football not yet. yet. I was being super average at everything else. There was actually <laughs> a one woman that I loved to watch on TV, and she was one of my favorites before I ever met her, and she gave me a pretty big... Uh, pretty big boost before I had even really started. Um, I don't know if you remember like when the craft celebration tour would go across mm -hmm. Canada and yeah, TSM would come anchor their show from like armpit BC and Darren Detition and Kate Burness were rolling through town. And I was uh, on a gap year cause I wasn't 100% sure what I was going to do with my life. So I was 17 and I had uh, applied to state for the broadcasting program. So I love sports and I love to write. And I was doing play-by-play -play for the Junior B hockey team in town. And uh, Darren came into the restaurant I was working in. And I was just chatting with him. Because he was like, he wanted to know where, like, good hikes were in the town. Things like that. And it's an empty restaurant. So, you know, we're just talking. And I was telling him about the stuff I'm doing. He said, well, you should come meet Kate after. And after my shift, like, Kate sat down with me, like, on the cement curb outside this hotel in the middle of nowhere. And she pretty much told me. You're going to have to work 5,000 times harder than everybody else. If you are wrong once, no one will let you forget it. And you'll never forget it if you're a perfectionist type, which many people in this industry are. And she told me about kind of her journey and making little to no money in these tiny stations all around Ontario before the break finally came. And it took a long time for her. And, you know, neither of them needed to take the time to do that. But I always appreciated that she did it. And I still love watching. Them. Yeah, it's there are some incredibly iconic people that have done such amazing things. Um, that's for sure. Now, for you today, though, to step into podcasts, to get invited into NHL hockey team podcasts and critics podcasts and all those things like that's that's a whole new level of of participation that we're starting to see. And I think that it's is it the normalization of hearing women voices like when when we started to see. Uh, some um, some women broad sportscasters and, and hockey broadcasters start to appear on the panels. Uh, it's become normalized now. And so for somebody uh, like you 
to step in and and be the invite to come in and sit in on a junior hockey podcast or an NHL podcast. Um, that stuff's happening consistently today. And those opportunities wouldn't come if you if you didn't grind because at the end of the day, sometimes it's just because you were the most available person. Yeah. Well, that the case? <laughs> you know, like X, X, X and Y all couldn't do it. They couldn't make it. It's like, man, I know who would have been at this game. Yeah. Gammy was there. Great. Get her on. Get her on. She's never going to say no. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's true though, but that's that, that's that slog work that you talked about, right? That's the work that, that everybody has to do going from small town to small town and being available and being willing, being willing is the biggest part of it. How many texts have I got from you saying, what are you doing at 1130? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but that's because I like you though. That's not because I know. And I enjoy hey, doing this. It's, not, in a my it's defense, not a chore. I don't mean to insane. In you. my defense, <laughs> I, uh, I have juggled schedule and live show clocks to make you fit, um, around live hits on TV and all kinds of stuff. So nay, nay, my friend, there is no convenience here. It is I it is all, it. I always all honest. Cammy <laughs> uh, Kepke here, sports broadcast more. Let's talk about some of the athletes. We're starting to see now some of these uh, national hockey players graduate into careers after hockey and still stay involved in hockey. Are there any ones that come to mind for you that are really doing a fantastic job that we might not see a lot of? Ooh, if I can take it in, uh, I'm going to take that and spin it a little bit because there's someone that I really respect and would love to talk mm -hmm. about. Uh, Carla McLeod, casual Olympic gold medalist of uh, her final Olympic gold medal was with the group that got in trouble for uh, partying a little too hard on the ice in BC and Vancouver. Mm -hmm. But overall, dynamite person just coached Czechia to their first medal at the Women's World Championship, the bronze uh, recently. And she's also coaching the UFC Dinos women's team. She's going to be massive for recruiting there and she's an incredible person but i think she's really interesting because as we see more women get hired in nhl roles whether it's as a development coach or front office carla's been asked before straight up like would she ever take the opportunity with an nhl team and she's like no i want to coach a pro women's team right she wants to like she just does so much to build women's sport and without it, it People like that, women's sports will always be viewed as lesser than, or it will always be second for a reporter. It will always be second to covering men's sports. Mm -hmm. I, it would be cool though. If that makes it, no, sense. it totally, if it totally makes, makes sense. sense. But it, it's always that it's always that piece, right? Is what is better? Because um, they're two very different sports, really. When you think about it, I mean, men's hockey you have incredibly physical. Uh, the the women's hockey is pretty rough. <laughs> but so like it dude i've seen girls get their ribs yeah shattered. like it's it's not like they used to and but they don't they don't show it on no, the ice like <laughs> no so I'm, I'm cautious as i say that but i mean the they are kind of two different sports i mean you've got bare knuckles fighting in one of them right stuff like that so crossing over maybe you compare it to like us covering the cfl compared to covering the nfl yeah. or you know, at university basketball in the States versus up here where you play the fever. Right. And that's a very good it's way different. to describe yeah. it. Right. And, and but having a, a women's uh, a woman step into an assistant coach role beyond a skating coach into a head coach role, assistant coach role in the NHL or the AHL, that, I mean, WHL. I mean, that would be that would be so dynamite. I'm, it makes me curious to wonder what the game would look like. Um, part of me makes things the game might get more violent <laughs> because there is ruthlessness. You know, there's um, 
There are a lot of teams, um, the national team, especially in hockey, they like to have female coaches, especially working with some of the younger players, just because of um, the differences in the game. When you take up body checking, you have to finesse other aspects of your game a little bit more. And for that reason, there are some men's teams that like to have a female coach on staff. And uh, you mentioned the WHL. Um, Olivia Howe was doing some work with the Moose Jaw Warriors starting in 2019, and the guys really liked having her there. No relation to Gordy, unfortunately. Oh, that's good. I did ask her. Cami <laughs> uh, is a, a hockey history buff, absolutely. Um, the uh, But it's changing, and it's exciting. Um, even the fact that you played football, I mean, that in itself, I mean, Callie's about to go try out for women's football this spring, right? And so you've become an, an outlet for me to be able to relate to to her. So you see how that that ball sort of kicks down the hill, right? This is what you're doing. I hope so. Yeah, that's good. I mean, it's no one, it's no one person. Yeah. We got a brigade of pretty cool people. Kenzie Lalonde out East is really great too. Coming up from doing a QMJHL broadcast to now being on a uh, covering the national team with Cheryl Pounder. Those two are a lot of fun to listen yeah. to. Yeah, that's cool stuff. The Jen Botterell out there. Amazing. I love Cassie Camp. Yeah. yeah. Cassie Campbell Pascal's analysis. I really appreciate uh, there is a detail that is brought into those that's a little bit different, and um, it's it's quite refreshing to hear because um, the look of the game is different, um, only because of the fact that the game is played differently um, in in the women's leagues, and it's it's quite refreshing. I, I don't understand how uh, these people get uh, trolled. I guess I don't know how anybody understand how anybody gets trolled online. But it happens, and it's uh, it's flippant, and I think that it's important that everybody sort of takes a stand against what is respect, regardless of who it is, in particular when um, these people are trying to break down barriers. This is cool stuff. Um, the irony of all of this is this conversation comes after a very long day of skiing for you, out living the dream and doing the things that you do, and doing it all anyway. So thank you with your uh, wind-kissed face, I will say. <laughs> I wasn't even going fast. <laughs> Cammy. I have no excuse. I'm a tomato. I look fresh out of veggie tails right now. Absolutely. Thanks for being here, Cammy. Thanks for having me, pal. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you? Are you? Are you? Okay. 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 Are you okay with? No better way to get used to somebody and what they're like than asking their thoughts on some very, very strange stories. So we will do exactly that with Ryan O'Donnell, Demi Knight. I'm Shane Hewitt. Let's get started with the first one here. Are you okay with cemeteries? Oh, spooky. Not really. I went no. to... I always thought that cemeteries were like a spooky, like why would you ever want to go to a cemetery kind of place? So I avoided them. But then mm -hmm. I walked through one and I was like, man, this is very peaceful. There's just like the, the grass is so perfectly kept and mm -hmm. looking at all the tombstones and memorials, it's like a fascinating little time capsule for mm -hmm. so many people's lives. And uh, like the Smith song, Cemetery Gates, it's a oh, great boy. place to spend an afternoon with your goth uh, millennial friends. So, yeah, I am all for cemeteries. Oh, man, why do you always got to bring the sad into it, hey? It's a great song. It's a happy song. It's not sad. Is, it, is that that's by the Smiths? 
Yeah, it's a date song. It's about having a date in a cemetery. It's very, oh, it comes, very ironic. Oh, there it is. It comes up by Pantera. Mm, All right. Yeah, that's a different. Uh, that's a different. <laughs> different kind different of cemetery. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's give it a listen then. Oh, it sounds like the Waltons. Something, something, something. There's some more sad. Something, and it's sad. There's, there's some more sad. It's the Smiths, and we're sad, and we're sad. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. Um, you know, as we continue through this, um, this, uh, are you okay with? There's one text that I have to draw attention to before I ask Demi her thoughts. It says, "Is Demi a, a adept at random typos? Otherwise, she can't really fill in for Ryan." Uh, Demi, how's your typo game? My grammar is strong. It's very oh. strong. So Uh-oh. I could be disappointing. This could be disappointing. What are your thoughts about cemeteries? I, I, I've never, ever in my life been to one. Really? Yeah. So I would say I'm, I don't have an opinion. So you're a murderer because clearly, I mean, the murderer doesn't go to the funeral. Well, so. Exactly. Or maybe they do. It's kind of like the fire bug who shows back, shows up to help put out the fire after they start the fire. Ooh, maybe you're not a murderer. That's good. Um, I, I like I like the cemeteries. I find that you know they are a peaceful place. They're a very grounding place. They're certainly a place for thought, aren't they? Where you realize, like, this is it. By the way, that little plaque right there. That's everything that's left of everything you did in life. So that's not sad. But it certainly could be inspiring to do more than just have your name on a plaque. So there's that. Uh, c- cemeteries. That's a typo. Are peaceful. That's just a example. Sorry, just that's it, Demi. Just so you know, that's an example of a typo. You're not expected. Great. That's not part of the job description. It's just something that I've personally <laughs> taken on to really up my game as a producer. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Uh, luckily, most cemeteries have animals that wander around bringing life to the place. <laughs> One cemetery, Goose in the States, is truly down in the dumps. The Goose, not a cobra chicken, by the way. Their long-lost partner, but they did get some help. Goose. Last August, Blossom lost her mate, Bud. They lived on the pond here at Riverside Cemetery in Marshalltown, Iowa. And according to cemetery staff, after Bud died... Blossom's grief was as evident as any human's. Her behavior was just, it was quite a change. General Manager Dory Tommen says Blossom started hanging out near the front office, always staring at herself in the glass or the model tombstones. She wanted company. Even if it's just a reflection. Yeah. And that's when Dory got a crazy idea. A hysterically lovely, crazy idea. She posted a personal ad that read in part, Lonely widowed domestic goose seeks life partner for companionship and occasional shenanigans. I'm youthful, adventurous, and lively. I and mean, what are the odds you're going to find some goose, a male goose? Oh, in Iowa? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, this state is lousy with bachelor geese. So the phone rings? Mm-hmm. And what do you hear? Hong Kong, Hong Kong. No, I didn't hear anything like that. <laughs> Instead, she heard humans Deb and Randy Hoyt, 
owners of a widower goose named Frankie. He needed a mate. Yeah, and plus he, he's so lonely. You know, I thought, well, that'll be great, you know. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Are we doing like goose tinder? <laughs> yeah. Honker. Oh, oh, honker. Very good. Very well done. Very good. Um, I'm pretty is, happy with that one. <laughs> this is as good as it gets. Close. Um, CBS News with that report, by the way. Incredibly, Blossom is back to her old self. The Hoyts and Tammons set up a Valentine's Day blind date for their birds, where Blossom welcomed Frankie with open wings. Now the two are spending all their time together at the ceremony. I think it's supposed to be cemetery. <laughs> yeah. That's a typo. They're spending all the time together at the cemetery, even taking dips into the lake together. Aww. Love. It's a great and story. Poop. I really like that one. Okay. Uh, are you okay with, I'm Shane Hewitt, Ryan O'Donnell, and Demi Knight, if you're just joining us, is new to the shift. Let's get this next clip completely out of context. Let's go, girls. Are you okay with? That's <laughs> good. I like the other one too. It's worked. Yeah, I kind of like that. <laughs> Are you okay with Shania Twain? Shania, I uh, I didn't really used to have an opinion. You know, it was on in Mom's minivan. It was like she's. Oh, you know, boy. I knew she was Canadian. I knew she was huge. And then I went to a bar called Ranchman's, which oh, is a country bar in calgary and it, no it's back now new owners it? but yeah it's it's up and running it's they i thought it was change a bit, anything. It, the building's gone no the building's still there it's on mcleod still yeah oh ranch yes yes ranchman's yes one on ninth uh, i'm not sure which one you were thinking of but ranchman's you know so many country bars in this town I know there's too many. So if, if you're outside of Calgary, just think the energy of the country like Calgary Stampede isolated into one bar. And then when I went to that bar on my 19th birthday and I heard that song come on the DJ, I then watched like 150 people lose their mind on the dance floor to that song. And then I was like, you know what? Yeah, I get it. Shania is pretty sweet. It's a lot of fun. You're like Michelle's minivan was cool. Hey, mom's minivan had some bangers on it. I like I will stand by some of the songs on that playlist. I should make a Spotify playlist of my mom's minivan music. Please do. Oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to 100% do it. Oh, that's good. We will do a show dedicated to Ryan's mom's minivan. Oh, can we do that on Thursday, Friday? Yep. Done deal. Okay, there we go. That's it. Tell Michelle. Um, Demi Knight is here as well. Demi, are you okay with Shania Twain? I'm perfectly okay with Shania Twain. I, I hate country music, which I think is a super unpopular opinion, uh, for Calgary, especially, but Shania Twain, well, I'm not okay with all of Shania Twain. I'm okay with Shania Twain's one album that isn't a country album. The man, I feel like a woman, Mm -hmm. uh, that don't impress me much. I'm okay with that. The song you played, I'm okay with it. All right. All the pop songs. I mean, it's yeah. a good time. She's from Timmins. I worked in Sudbury. I feel like there's a connection there. She was around, saw the shows, you know. I mean, Dynamite, what a star. 
So Shania has sold over 100 million records, by the way, making her the best-selling female artist in country music history and one of the best-selling music artists of all time. So, yeah, she has a fan or two, plenty in Canada, and one Canadian superfan had quite the experience with Shania Twain this year. Nicole Glasgow performed as Shania in front of Shania, the real Shania Twain, on a UK game show. Gaskell, alongside two other women, performed one of Shania's biggest hits, Man, I Feel Like a Woman, on a UK singing show with Shania sitting at the judges' table. Pressure was on. I mean, it was already a high-pressure situation, but pressure was really on then because, like, Shania Twain. <laughs> the country sensation loved the performance so much, even sharing it with her 2 million followers on Instagram. Gaskell says Shania's energy was electric and encouraging. Just as we were setting up and I was standing there just waiting for the music to start, she, I just heard her go, let's go girls. It just shows she's like such a nice person, just true Canadian. Gaskell grew up a Shania Twain fan, even choosing a Shania song for her initial audition. <laughs> The process to get on the show was a long one, says Gaskell. Between auditions, movement, singing lessons, makeup and costume trials, the audition took about a year. One of the hardest parts, having to keep it a secret. I sang in front of my, like, my childhood idol who I grew up with, and then now I'm just back in the office and I just have to pretend like nothing happened. Oh, that's wild. Um, Global's Michaela Henschel right there with that story. It's worth noting that Nicole Gla uh, Glasgow... Also was seven months pregnant when she performed that as well. Neat. I can't. That would be scary. Getting in front Terrifying. of your, like, in front of that that's person. I've always been amazed when you watch America's Got Talent or Idol or whatever, when somebody will get up in front of that panel of people and sing a song by that panel of people. Like, that's mm -hmm. a next level cojones. And guts, yeah. It, oh, it kind of reminds me of, remember when a bunch of Adele impersonators got up on mm -hmm. stage and tried to sing Adele, and then Adele was actually there in makeup, and she's saying, and everybody kind of looks over at her, like, I'm pretty sure that's actually Adele. And she just has a lot of fun with them. And this is, I feel like, as close as you're going to get to that experience with Shania, but still scary, terrifying. Now, some good news for you if you do like Shania Twain. She's going on tour this year. The tour starts in April in Spokane and has a whopping 49 stops in North America and the UK. West to East, uh, the Queen of Me tour will stop at the following Canadian dates. There's going to be some leopard print in that show, I bet. Uh, oh, yeah. May 2nd, 3rd, Vancouver. 5 and 6, Edmonton. May 9 and 10, Calgary. May 12th, uh, Saskatchewan. Then it's going to be May 14th in Winnipeg, uh, June 12th, Halifax, 14th is Moncton, 17th, Quebec City, um, June 18th, Montreal, June 20th in The Hammer, 21st in London, 23rd and 24th in Toronto, and uh, July 6th in Ottawa. Oh, at Blues Fest, Blues Fest lineup. Oh, my God. Have you seen it? It is so good. Crazy good. I think we I might have to make to a trip. off of work. <laughs> going to Blues Fest <laughs> in Ottawa. Uh, that'll be a good one. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't think her tour people know how Canada works, by the way, with that route, but mm -hmm. maybe she must go down to the States after that. That's got to be what's happening. Okay, Ryan, dealer's choice here. Should we do the... Let's do the pandas. Are you okay yep. with... Surprise, pandas. Pandas. I wish... Uh... 
in, back to Calgary, we had pandas at the zoo for like a year, mm-hmm. two years mm-hmm. before COVID, and they couldn't get the bamboo to feed them. I had to send them back to China, which was uh, that was that was a wild story. That was one of the weirdest like pandemic events I, I yeah. had seen. Well, they were flying but a I plane got to, here like once a week just to bring bamboo. just to bring the bamboo. It was crazy. China. But the, thank you. I. Uh, I can't believe I actually got to see the pandas because it was awesome. They're so cute. And they're just, they're just, uh, they're goofballs. Like they're so clumsy. They can't walk in a straight line. They just fall over all the time. And uh, they're pretty sweet. I love, I love the panda. Mm, very good. Demi Knight, pandas. Um, I don't know who would ever not be okay with pandas. I think mm. they're amazing. I watch videos of pandas constantly. Actually, my brother sends me videos of pandas constantly just in trees falling out trees yeah Hmm? they're your favorite of the animals they're probably my favorite bear Hmm. so all right that makes me curious favorite animal save that for another day okay uh pandas a man was recently arrested after it was discovered that he was one of the people who stormed the u.s capitol in 2021 wait what you say how is it possible that a Story about the Capitol in 2021 has anything to do with Demi's love of pandas? Well, the man was wearing a panda mask, and he's from Florida. I don't know how things work in Florida, which from your description sounds like a colorful, lawless swamp. (laughs) A video from January 6th shows that a man wearing a panda head entered the Capitol, earning the nickname Sedition Panda. You can't make this stuff up. Uh, Ryan, what more can you tell us? Yeah, Chris, this is uh, one of the individuals that stormed the Capitol, or is at least accused of of storming the Capitol on that day, that online sleuths have dubbed seditious panda. And that's because he was seen uh, on a security camera footage. You see the picture of him there storming the Capitol wearing this panda head. Now, he's been arrested now on a series of charges, uh, including assaulting, resisting, or impeding an officer, and engaging in physical violence in a restricted building or grounds. His name is Jesse James Rumsfeld. He was arrested in Florida on Monday. Now, according to the affidavit, uh, which is part of the court record, they say that he was actually not in the Capitol for all that long, only about 15 minutes. But one of the reasons he's being charged with a crime is because after he left the building, uh, there is a video evidence of him encouraging others uh, to go into the Capitol, to storm the Capitol, if you will. Okay, so that's from NBC News and clearly well thought out criminal here because if he was wearing the mask, how would they identify him? Well, this brilliant Floridian did not wear the mask for the whole insurrection. You see, apparently uh, it gets hot or it's hard to see. An FBI agent said in an affidavit supporting his arrest that he wore it on and off during the storming of the Capitol. I'm a human. I'm a panda. Look, I'm a human. I'm a panda. And he was caught on video and in photos with his face in full view. Therefore, his arrestability skyrocketed. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 